Are you ready to celebrate a little bit? Um, are you ready to hear from the Word of God this morning? And you know, a lot of times when preparing an Easter message, it's kind of interesting. You, you wouldn't think it, but the hardest messages a year to prepare for as a pastor are Christmas and Easter. And, and I, I, you know, it's kind of interesting because you're like, well, why would that be hard? Because that's what it's all about. I know, because here's the hard thing. Spoiler alert, you know he got up. It's like, you know, I mean, it's like hard to sneak up on that one now, isn't it? And, and so, um, so that's one of the reasons. Then I think the other reason is, can I just be honest, that we live in the, what we call the Bible Belt. And you know what that means? It means that everybody here is a Christian because Grandma prayed. And, and everybody knows enough about God to be dangerous sometimes. <laughs> Have you ever met one of those people? If not, you read their post on Facebook. They knew enough about God to be dangerous. And you read their post and said, oh, Jesus, you know. And so, um, Lord, help them. And uh, they know not what they do, you know. And so, anyways, um, and, and so, but sometimes because we're kind of steeped in religious tradition and because nationally people think of Easter as a religious holiday, that sometimes it comes with a little bit of air of religion and tradition. And that's not at all what Easter's about. And, and Jesus didn't actually come to give us a religious holiday. He actually came to give us an experience of a resurrection that changes our lives forever. And the idea of a religious holiday, in fact, Jesus didn't come to give us religion at all. He actually came to destroy religion. If you remember, it was, it, it was the religious people that killed him. Right? And, and so there was right, this big divide between religious people and Jesus. And Jesus wasn't real hip on religion. And religious people weren't really hip on Jesus. And so then you get ready to preach in the Bible Belt on Easter, the belt buckle of the Bible Belt. And everybody knows it's Easter. We need to go to church and get a new tie and some new shoes and a new suit. And we got to go to Easter because it's Easter. So we go to Easter because it's Easter because it's Easter because it's Easter. And sometimes for me, I'm up here like, don't get stuck in religion, man. <laughs> like, I love our church because our church is so not religious, and that makes me happy. And you're, you're like, wait a second. I remember I was scrutinized, really uh, judged, because I made a comment very early on in our church that we weren't going to be a religious church. And, and I had people from other churches writing me bad things. <laughs> and I was like, found the devil. <laughs> so anyways, I'm like, I'm sorry, bro. <laughs> Didn't mean to hurt your feelings. <laughs> Like, you know, Jesus wasn't very religious. In fact, that's why he kept getting, he kept healing people on the Sabbath. And they're like, you can't heal people on the Sabbath. You know, I mean, he's just like total nonconformist. Anyways, so um, are you ready to be a nonconformist today? All right. Well, um, turn with me to John chapter 20. And, and nowadays we don't turn, we click. So if you have a phone, you can click to John 20. Um, it is totally okay to use your phone in church to read the Bible if that's how you read it. Um, it is not okay to text your friends about what you're having for lunch. Um, that is not okay. Um, and so it, it's like totally okay to click on your Bible. And you know what? If you want to tweet live, that's okay. But tweet about the service. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, but anyways, you, you, you know what I'm saying. So turn or click to John chapter 20. And um, I'm excited about the, the, the word that I have to bring to you. It's not a very religious word at all. In fact, it's kind of counter that. Or, um, and, and, and I'm excited because I just think God wants to do something in our hearts. And he's been doing that all weekend and all the services. And it's been extraordinary to watch as God has just changed people's lives, changed people's lives. And um, so I'm excited. So in John 20, here's what is happening is... Um, uh, it's gonna, John's going to talk specifically about Mary Magdalene. There are actually, if you read all the Gospels, there are a handful of ladies that were going to the tomb on Sunday morning because they didn't have time to finish the preparation of Ju Jesus's body uh, for burial. And so they're actually going to go to the tomb and they have their spices and their ointments and those type of things, and they're going to finish prepping the body. And so John gives us Mary Magdalene's story. And the reason is because Mary Magdalene is the one that comes and reports to John and Peter that they can't find the body. And you have to remember that they believed Jesus was the Son of God, but, but it had kind of escaped them that he would have to die. And so when he died, it was life-shattering, and so they're in a lot of pain, and they're just trying to go prep the body, 
And then they get there and can't find the body. And so John's really telling this from Mary Magdalene's perspective because she's the one that reports to them. So John 20, verse 1, it says, Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, time out. You need to understand, because sometimes uh, we don't talk about this, but you know they say that the stone was sealed, the tomb was sealed. And, and we don't always understand. That doesn't mean they rolled a rock in front of it. That means they rolled a stone in front of it and then cemented the stone to the tomb. That's what it meant to seal it, right? And so the stone had been sealed. So Mary thinks she's going to have to go and try to convince people, the guards or whoever, because they had guards who were guarding the tomb to make sure the disciples didn't steal the body. So she's probably thinking, I got to get there and convince somebody to chisel out the concrete and move the stone so I can finish prepping the body. And she gets there and the stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty. And she's like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, like what's happening? So verse two, then she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, time out. You got to understand that John is writing the gospel of John and John gives his, he gives himself an alias. Okay. It's like AKA. Um, have you ever met someone that talks about themselves in the third person? Okay. First of all, that's weird. Don't do that. If you do that, people don't think it's cool. They think you're weird. Right. But, but John is actually talking, um, about himself kind of in the third person. He's like, she came and told Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved. I don't know what that says about Peter. I don't know what John's trying to infer there. (laughs) But John's just like, so my name is John, aka the disciple whom Jesus loved. And one way to look at it is like, man, John is like really kind of stuck here on himself. The other way to look at it is John was completely convinced that Jesus loved him. And I wonder if our lives would be a little different if we were that convinced that Jesus loved us. That when you're sending mom that email, like, hey, mom, it's great to see you. I'm going to bring the kids next Christmas. The disciple whom Jesus loved. You know, it's like, how cool would that be if we were actually that convinced? So John's convinced. He gives himself an alias. Uh, and remember, he, he, if you write your gospel, you get to call yourself whatever you want, apparently. So it said that the disciple whom Jesus loved said to them, uh, and, and Mary said, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. Verse 3, Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So now a foot race has ensued between John and Peter. Verse 4, so they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. <laughs> John... <laughs> John needed the Bible record to reflect that he is faster than Peter. In case there is ever a discipleship episode of the amazing race, we want to make sure that John is on our team because he can run faster than Peter. So verse five, and John stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloth lying there. That would have been the grave clothes, what they had wrapped the body in. Yet he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and saw the cloths there. Now, that's just indicative of Peter's personality. I think, I think John's kind of denoting something else. Like, obviously, the disciple whom Jesus loves knows you just don't go storming into someone's tomb. But Peter, who is always guilty of acting, speaking, and then thinking... Right, Peter, the one when, when there's like the storm and they're in the boat, right? And Jesus is just taking a stroll in the hurricane. And, and they're like, oh, Lord, if it's you, you know, and, and Peter's like, Lord, if it's you, then calls, call me, command me to get out of the boat and walk on the water. I think as soon as he said that, he was like. <laughs> because if you're really thinking what you say is, Lord, if that's you, command John to get out of the boat. If John lives, we know it's you, Jesus. Because that's wisdom. <laughs> so Peter just runs into the tomb, verse 7, and he sees the cloth lying there and the handkerchief that had been around Jesus' head, so that was the head dressing, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together and placed by itself. I think that's just a great historical fact to let us know. Because if someone stole the body, they probably didn't take time to do the laundry. 
You know, if, if you're going to snatch a body in the middle of the night from a tomb, you don't stop and say, well, let's do the laundry and fold the clothes and we'll, in fact, we'll organize the laundry, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> then verse eight, then the other disciple who, who came to the tomb first, John's just not going to let it go. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I think it'd be interesting if Peter wouldn't, have, if Peter would have written a gospel, but for whatever reason, he, he didn't get to write one, but anyways, <laughs> Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also. And he saw and believed. Now watch this, verse 9 is key. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their homes. Um, Let me give you kind of a statement that you can think about. And that is that um, your view shapes your perspective, and, and your perspective forms your reality. So your view shapes your perspective, your perspective forms your reality. In other words, the view that you have determines the reality you embrace. Uh, that's why when a police officer or someone's investigating an accident, they don't just talk to one witness. Because they know one witness has one point of view. And they need not what is reality to this person. They're trying to determine what really happened. And they know reality is shaped by a point of view or perspective. And so they interview everybody to try to get as many vantage points or viewpoints or points of view into the event that occurred so they can determine really what happened. Uh, The New Testament reality of God's spirit being in us is that Paul said, because the spirit of God knows the mind of God and we have the spirit of God, then essentially we get a different point of view. Because he knows if we're left to our point of view, we may arrive at a reality that's not completely real. I call this message a tomb with a view. A tomb with a view. And what I want to do is I want to give you three views that John had. And I want to show you kind of, I think, the significance of those. And Because I think even today, I think even today, people still are viewing life, the cross, the resurrection, kind of from these same points of view. And so I want to give you kind of three points of view that John had, and, and, and two of them come from the text we just read. For the first one, we have to go back one chapter to John chapter 19. Now Jesus is on the cross. <clears throat> and so Jesus is now on the cross, and the first view really that we're going to talk about that John had is a view of a cross. It's a view of the cross. And, and John 19, 25, it says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, so that's John, said to his mother, Woman, <laughs> John just won't let it go, man. Um, but so he sees his mother and John, and he says, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to John, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his home. And so here's a view that John has. Now, you got to kind of get in John's frame of reference. See, I know that the crucifixion took place on a Friday. History tells us that. We don't even need the Bible for that. History tells us. The crucifixion took place on a Friday. And, and now we have a name for that Friday, that, and we call it Good Friday. But on that first Good Friday, it didn't seem so good. See, we call it Good Friday because we have a different point of view than what John had. Because standing on that side of the resurrection on that first Good Friday, it didn't feel so good. It felt rather traumatic. I mean, the the cross was traumatic. I mean, it was a traumatic event for Jesus. You need to understand that the Romans were skilled in torturing, mutilating, and murdering. See, if Jesus came today, he would get lethal injection. But there was no type of mercy available for criminals 
under the Roman Empire. They were skilled executioners. They say Jesus was flogged. And, and what a flogging was, and we think, well, he was, he, was, he was beaten and he was whipped. No, a flogging was designed to get you as close to death as possible and not kill you. He was whipped with a whip that had um, metal balls in it and pieces of bone so that not just his back, from, but from literally from his shoulders to his feet, when he was whipped, it would have not just pulled the skin off, but lacerated muscles. And historians say it would not be uncommon to be able to see his skeletal system or even organs being displayed. It wasn't a good day. That's why Jesus collapsed on the road to the cross. He collapsed because he was suffering from a mental condition, which we would know simply as massive losses of blood that would cause unconsciousness. And so it wasn't just Jesus went to the cross. It was traumatic. And his disciples knew what was going on. Peter had watched him being beaten. Uh, Mary, John, it was a traumatic day. It was traumatic for Mary. She's watching her son be tortured and nailed to a cross. It's a traumatic day for John. He's watching his friend and his leader and someone he presumed to be the son of God murdered in front of him. It was a traumatic day for Peter who had denied him three times. And then we don't know where Peter went. He went missing. It was a traumatic day for Judas who thought he had selfishly done what would make him happy only to determine he couldn't live with the pain of what he had actually done and he actually ended his own life. It, it, was, it was a traumatic day, but I think John is standing there and he's looking at the cross and he's thinking, now wait a second, you're, gonna, you're the son of God and, and you're going to rule. Remember the disciples thought Jesus was going to rule over this earth the way they think ruling over the earth should look like. And remember, they were on the road to Damascus and they had the first pastor's conference because they were trying to determine who was the greatest. <laughs> You've never been to a pastor's conference. And so they're, they're trying to discuss who's the greatest, you know. And so I think John is standing there, probably eyes just completely wide open, scared to blink. And he is thinking, okay, Jesus, enough with this charade. Like, this is where you call the angels. You jump down off the cross. You roundhouse one of these guards. And we start kicking some tail. This is where it happens, Jesus. You can't go out like this. You can't die don't die on me. I gave up everything to follow you. Don't die on me right now. And then Jesus looks at him. And what we know from Roman crucifixion is that it was actually, you suffocated. Um, and the reason is, is because your body was stretched so tightly that the only way to breathe would be to pull with the spikes in your wrist and push with the spikes in your feet and move your body up enough to actually get air into your lungs. And John's sitting there thinking, okay, Jesus, don't die. And right about then, Jesus, with all the force that he had, pulls himself up, gets breath in his lungs. And I think John's thinking, okay, this is where we go. And Jesus is like, take care, mom. Translation, I'm about to die. And John's like, and it says, from that moment, he took Mary and left. Like, it's over. Um, <clears throat> you know, a traumatic day will define our lives if we let it. A traumatic life will, a traumatic day will define our lives if we let it and all of us at times deal with a bad Friday we deal with a traumatic day and it could be losing somebody you love and it could be losing a job it could be a spouse that walks out it could be a child that's sick but all of us deal with bad Fridays and if we're not careful if we have a limited perspective then we'll let a traumatic day end a story that God's still trying to write. See, for the disciples, for John, they had different ways of dealing with trauma. John went home to greed. Peter went fishing. Judas hung himself. How do you deal with trauma? 
And while traumatic days seek to define our lives, they can only define our lives if we allow them. They can only determine our potential if we allow them. And if we are thinking, if we believe that the way we're viewing our life is the only way to view it, there's a good chance we'll be ready to type the end when there's still two more days left in the story. (laughs) See, your perspective really can lead you to end a story that God is still writing. The resurrection takes the most traumatic of days and writes the most beautiful storylines. It takes the darkest days and fills them with the light of hope. Um, You don't have to let a traumatic day be a defining moment. You can let it be a pivotal moment. You don't, let it, you don't have to let a traumatic day tell you who you are and, and what you can be and what you can do. You can just let it be the day that it is and then let God show you a different perspective. He says that all things work together for our good. For, for, things, for him to write that, that things have to work together for our good means some things in the beginning don't look really good. And what God is saying is, I have a different vantage point, a different perspective, and a different point of view. And while you may be looking at it, and it may look like a bad Friday, you need to understand, I'm still writing the story. And don't end on a bad Friday when there can be a Sunday morning resurrection in your life. You don't have to end the story there because I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. It may look like I'm done. It may look like the dream died. It may look like there's no reason to hope again, but God's like, hey, when I'm involved, you need to understand death is not an obstacle anymore. Death is not the end, and what looks like the end could be just the beginning. Don't lose hope. I was thinking about um, the evangelist James Robinson. If you know James and Betty Robinson from Life Outreach today and James' story was written before he was born in that he was a product of rape. His mom at age 41 was raped, and she conceived him. His mom then sought an abortion, and the doctor refused to do the abortion, and James was born, and then the mom left James, and she left him with a pastor. And his wife, and he lived with them several years until mom came and got him again. Now, his story should have been over right there. Statistically speaking, that kind of traumatic entry into this world. Don't know who dad is, and obviously dad's a bad person. Mom didn't want me. He should have been a delinquent who was on drugs, robbed liquor stores, went to prison, and probably died early. Statistically speaking, those are the, that, that should have been the story. But James, even though he, he was born on a Friday, he didn't let the story stop there. He went on to become a world-renowned evangelist who preached the gospel to over 20 million people. Today, his life outreach missions organization and and outreach television program is viewed by more than 300 million homes a day. They have, they have drilled over 4,000 water wells in 40 nations of the world. They're still working. They're providing food and shelter to the hungry and the homeless, to children around the world. And just the partial tallies of the people who have converted to Christianity because of their efforts is now over 20 million people who have accepted Christ because of the work they do. It was a bad Friday. He just didn't stop writing the story there. And it may feel like a bad Friday in your life. Just don't stop the story there because anything's possible when there's the variable of resurrection. You see, the, the same disciples, they all deserted Jesus. Except for John, who was at the cross. Everybody else deserted Jesus when he was arrested, when he, he went to the cross. The same disciples that deserted him after the resurrection were all willing to die for him. The same disciples who viewed that Friday and they said, this is the worst day ever. This is the worst day ever. 
They spent the rest of their lives after the resurrection proclaiming the beauty, the power, and the sacredness of the cross. And all that changed was their point of view. So there's, there's a view of the cross, and, and then here's the second view that, that John has. It's, it's the view of the tomb. <clears throat> and so if you remember from our text, I'll remind you, John 20, verse 4, it says, So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And verse 5, And John, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. So think about this. There's a foot race and Peter and John are running to the cross. I mean, to the tomb, they're running to the tomb and he gets to the tomb and, and sure enough, it is open and John stops outside of the tomb. He's got a view of a tomb outside of a tomb and he's looking in and it says, and he saw the linen cloths. And, and, and that word in the original language, because the Bible is written in Greek, that, that word actually means to, to see. Or you could say it this way, to scrutinize. You could say it this way, to question. In other words, John is running to the tomb. And remember from our text, they didn't know he was going to die and rise again. Somehow that had been hidden from them. They didn't catch that part. And they're running to the tomb. And John stops and he looks in. And here's what he's thinking. What happened? It's supposed to be sealed. The body's supposed to be in there. Somebody stole the body. Literally, he is now thinking, you have to understand, this was not the first sunrise service. <laughs> this was the first episode of Jerusalem CSI. Are you with me? Like, this wasn't like, praise the Lord, he's risen. No, 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 no. No, this is like, oh my God, somebody stole Jesus' body. And we got to dust for fingerprints or something. We got to ask witnesses what has happened. And so John is standing there and it says he sees the cloth or he saw the linen and he's like, what happened? What, what, what has happened? In fact, that was kind of the question everybody was asking. Um, the, the Roman guards who were assigned to guard the tomb to make sure that the disciples didn't steal the body, they kind of had the same question. Uh-oh, something happened. And for them, a missing body could mean they were punished by death. But since they had kind of been hired by the chief priest, really, to guard the tomb, they didn't even go and report to their Roman oversight. They went and reported to the chief priest. So now here's, if you will, the world is... Rome, here's the world. They're like, something happened. We don't know what. So now they go to the chief priests, the religious, and they're like, hey, the tomb's empty. And they're like, hey, something happened and we have to cover it up. And interesting that the religious wanted to cover up the resurrection of Jesus. So the religious pay the soldiers to lie and say, the disciples stole the body. <laughs> See, can I just say something? The devil doesn't have any problem with religious people. He has a problem with resurrection. Like, if he can't make you an atheist, being a religious person is the next best thing. Yeah, because religion never saved anybody. It sent a lot of people to hell. So it's like, well, if you can't be an atheist, I'm okay if you're religious. I don't have a problem with playing church. Just don't have any power. And so here's, here's the world. Hey, something happened. Here's the religious. Something happened. We got to cover it up. I wonder how many people today in our world are looking at this weekend and thinking, something happened. I was watching uh, the news the other night and then it went off and, and one of the talk shows that comes on after the news, like the late show or whatever they call them, it was uh, Jimmy Kimmel. I usually don't watch the show, um, but Jimmy Kimmel was on and Jim and I were getting ready for bed and, 
And it was playing, and, and then he had a very well-known actress, obviously, on. He's interviewing her, and they, they, they said something about Easter, and my, my ears kind of perked up because I thought, I wonder what their point of view is. Like, I know what mine is, but I'm curious because, statistically speaking, most actresses, actors, movie stars, whatever we call them nowadays, they're not highly, they're not really committed Christ followers. Could we just be nice and say it that way? Right? Is that a shock to y'all? Some of you are like, they're not? I mean, some are. I mean, I, I get it. Some are. But by and large, most of your Hollywood people are, are not committed Christians or Christ followers. And I just thought it'd be interesting to hear their point of view. And, and she made this comment, I'll never forget. He asked about Easter and she said, well, I never grew up celebrating Easter. And she said, but then all of a sudden, one of my sons wanted to have Easter parties. So I threw Easter parties for him. We had the Easter bunny come and I guess lay eggs. I don't know. I never have understood the Easter bunny laying eggs. That's weird. <laughs> like that's, I'm not even sure, you know, a rabbit bunny that lays eggs. That's, that should be examined, <laughs> you know. Now I will say this, if it's the Cadbury bunny, because those eggs are legit <laughs> right there. Every Easter, y'all don't know this, but every Easter, Julie buys me these Cadbury eggs because they got crack in them or something. I don't know what's in those things. Man, they are good. Like little baby angels put those together somehow. Um, anyways, so that's just personal testimony. Um, <clears throat> But they're talking about this, this Easter party, and, and she kind of makes a comment like she was going to say, Easter's about whatever, and then she kind of diverted and said, well, who really knows what Easter's about? We don't know what Easter's about, do we? And, and Jimmy Kimmel's kind of like, yeah, whatever, you know? And, and I'm like, it's the, it's the point of view looking at a tomb. Something happened. See, this weekend, the world's like, well, we get off work. You know, post office is closed. Something happened. But you know what? I think there are tons of people in churches today because something happened. Like they're, they're not even against Jesus. It's not like the religious of that day. It's just they've gathered because somebody told them something happened and they think something happened. And there's, there's an empty tomb. Something happened. History's confirmed that there was an empty tomb. Something happened. And so here are all these, all these people, all these different viewpoints, but they all have this same view, see? They have this view of a tomb. And the consensus across the board is the same. Something happened. Something happened. Do you know it's possible to know who Jesus is and not know Jesus? Do you know it's possible to view the tomb? and not really understand what happened there? Do you know it's possible to know who Jesus is and not really follow him? Do you know it's possible to know who Jesus is and not really believe him? See, I don't, I don't know if you know this. You probably do, but if you don't, I, I should probably let you know that for Jesus, he doesn't offer uh, different levels of commitment. You know how we have, like, you could, today you could be a bronze level, and you could then be, you know, then you could move up to silver and gold and then platinum if you really want to. In, in Mark, um, Mark's gospel, chapter 8, verse 34, very famous scripture. But I love the way that it starts because it says that Jesus called the people with the disciples. See, when he had called the people to himself with the disciples. Do you see that? He called the people with the disciples. So he's, he's not saying for the disciples... There is this level of commitment. These are our platinum members. They have forsaken all to follow me. But today, if you'd like to join up, you can start at bronze. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. He calls everybody around him, disciples and just the common people. And he says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross. In other words, only one level here. It's platinum or bust. Right? 
platinum or bust. There, there's not different levels of following Jesus. I, I think sometimes religious kind, religion kind of works that into our hearts a little bit. Like, well, I know he's there and there's a big man upstairs and, and, and yeah, I know about God and grandma prayed and, and mom took me to Sunday school one time and yeah, I know all about that stuff. But you need to understand there's only one level of commitment. There's not a bronze level where I know about the stuff. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you, you deny yourself. That's abandoning me. And you take up your cross. There's just one way to do it. I'm glad Jesus didn't have different levels of commitment for us. I'm glad he didn't partially go to the cross. I'm glad he didn't go halfway, get halfway up Golgotha and think, well, that's good enough. I got really close, God. I'm almost dead. I'm glad he didn't halfway rise again. Like get up for one day and then go back to the tomb. Like Jesus only had one level of commitment to us and, and he basically, he doesn't start with an initiation. I think sometimes that's where religion gets it long, wrong. Like, well, if you want to follow Jesus, here's the list of things you need to change. Jesus is like, you don't have to change anything. There's one level of commitment I don't care how screwed up you are. <laughs> like, I don't care if you're screwed up, jacked up, divorced. I don't care if you're a homosexual. I don't care what you think you are or how bad you think you are or how much you think you've messed up. That's not even what it's about. That's what religion is about. And I came to abolish everybody from religion. I came to abolish religion and free you from religion. You can be screwed up. It doesn't matter how messed up you are, but there's still just one level of commitment, all or none. You don't have to get it right to follow me, but you do have to follow me completely. And if you follow me completely, I'll help you get it right. He doesn't start with initiation. He just starts with invitation to all these people. It's an invitation to follow him on the platinum level, which is the only level, which is deny yourself, abandon your desires, abandon what you want, abandon how you want your life to work, abandon what you want to do, abandon what you think about everything, and then take up your cross. It's one level. And you say, well, why do I take up a cross? Didn't Jesus carry a cross? Yes, Jesus carried the cross for your justification. He asked you to carry the cross for your sanctification. He carried the cross that makes you right with God no matter what. Your behavior doesn't make you right with God anymore because Jesus carried your cross. But what he asked you to do is carry the cross that identifies you with him and spend the rest of your life trying to look like him and live the life he created you for. Amen. And you don't do that halfway. And you don't do that on a bronze level. This is, this is why I do what I do. See, I, I, I wasn't sitting around thinking, well, Longview, you know, they need another church. There's just not enough of them. I wasn't sitting around thinking, you know, I really love, you know, to preach on the weekends. I love that. But when, when, here's what I was thinking. I want to shake people free from religion and free from sin and free from guilt and free from shame and challenge them to live the life God created them for and destined them for. And that begins when they commit every part of themselves to him and they surrender every part of themselves to him. You will never live your best life until you embark on an aggressive, vibrant, spiritual journey of following Jesus, abandoning yourself and carrying the cross that makes you end up looking like him. That's why I do this. It's not about having church. It's about watching people live what God destined them for. And that's what Jesus challenges us to do. See, religion, religion has this view that makes you feel better about you. Resurrection has a view that changes every part of yourself. And every part of who you are. So there's the, a view of the cross, a view of a tomb. But here's the last one. That's where it gets good. There's a view of the cross, a view of the tomb. But then there's a view from the tomb. Uh, let's read uh, John 20, verse 6, back to our text. So Simon Peter came, following him, went into the tomb. Peter, Peter, Peter. And he sees the linen cloths and the handkerchief. Then verse 8. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb, watch this, went in. I like that. He was standing outside. 
But, but then he went in. The world, the religious, they stayed outside. John and Peter went in. It says he went in, and watch this, and he, and he saw and believed. Now, I love that. So let's review. Peter and John run to the tomb. John gets to the tomb first, stops, stoops down, looks in, and the Bible says, and he saw the grave clothes, the linen. And then Peter runs by him and goes in. And John's standing there looking down and looking in. And remember, he's like, hey, what happened? And that's what everybody's thinking. What happened? And then the Bible says, then John went in. John, John went in. You have to go in. Religion stays on the outside looking at the tomb. Resurrection is inside the tomb. John went in. And then it says, and he saw. And he saw. Interesting, because in your English Bible, if we read the text just like we read it here, you're going to see that John stood outside and saw. And then he went inside and saw. And it's the same word, saw. But the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek. And Greek is more expressive. And there are a lot more words. Just for the word that we translate love, there are five words in Greek that mean love. And so, interesting enough, the first time that John is stooping down, it says stooping down, looking at the tomb and looking into the tomb. And it says he saw. That word, remember, means he questioned. He scrutinized. He saw. But then he goes, then he goes in. And now he's in the tomb. And now the Bible says he saw. But it's a different word. Out here, he questioned. In here, not only is it a different word, it's a different tense. So it's like the indicative aorist, whatever participle, something, right? I'm not big on Greek verbs because they got too many. But, it, but it's the tense is the aorist tense. And aorist tense is without denotation of time. In other words, it's a snapshot. So John is writing to give us a snapshot. In other words, it's not that just he went in, but there was something that happened when he went in. It's not just that he went in and saw, but when he saw something happened. And so when you look up now, the verb tense, I saw here, saw, saw. Something happened. Go in. And this verb, saw, means to perceive the significance of. Okay, let me help you. Standing outside the tomb, looking in, John says something happened. But then he went in. And when he went in and saw, something happened to John. Religion? Something happened. The world? Something happened. What Jesus wants to give us? Something happened to me. Religion? Something happened. Resurrection, I can't be the same. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. In an instant, John went from what happened to I know what happened and we're not going to find the body because it's roaming around somewhere. We're not looking for him now. He'll come looking for us because he is risen. That's what happened. He's not here and he's not going to be found and nobody stole him because he got up. And John looks now out of the tomb and the tomb with a view looking out of the tomb, looking from the tomb. Nothing looks the same anymore. The grass is greener. The birds are louder. The flowers smell better because John said there's been a resurrection. Not just in that tomb, but in my heart, there's been a resurrection. First John, you have time, just a couple minutes. First John, um, John is writing a letter to some, some followers of Jesus that he loves. 
And he is writing now from that view from the tomb because he, they were attacking some, some Gnostics. Uh, those are people, they were religious people who claimed to have a higher knowledge and they are attacking the resurrection, telling people there was no resurrection. And they're attacking it because they had a dualistic view that said matter is evil and spirits are good. And so Jesus' good spirit couldn't have been in an evil matter body. Does that make sense? And so they're saying there's no resurrection. There's no resurrection. And John, he hears about it. And how you and I would write a nasty email. He grabs parchment. (laughs) And John writes to the church that he loves And he says, he's writing to attest to the resurrection and assure them there is a resurrection and convince them not to listen to people who say there was no resurrection. And the way he starts this letter is powerful. Because he starts this letter and he says, that which I have seen with my eyes. What's he saying? I've got a resurrected point of view. I've got a resurrected perspective. I got a point of view they don't have. Those people telling you there's no resurrection, see, they didn't stand in the tomb. I stood in the tomb. And he said, that which I saw with my eyes, which I heard with my ears, and which I even touched with my hands concerning the word of life, that's Jesus. And he said that that life was manifested and we experienced it. And we have been given life eternal by the resurrection. He's now shifted where I'm not trying to tell you the resurrection was an event. I'm trying to explain to you the resurrection is an experience. It's not a religious holiday. It's what makes all the difference in your life. And then he goes on to write first that the resurrection is an experience of freedom from sin. In 1 John 2, 2, he says, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sin and the sin of the world. Here's what he's saying. Now, here's the experience of resurrection. You get to win over sin. You don't have to be in bondage. You don't have to stay in the same life patterns. You don't have to, you don't have to stay in the same traps. You can get out of one broken relationship after the other. You can get out of that addiction. You can get away from that substance. You can get freedom over that anger. He's saying you don't have to stay stuck in it anymore. There there wasn't a choice before, but the experience of resurrection says, now there's freedom, now there's a choice. And John doesn't stop there. He said, there's freedom from sin. There's freedom from death. So now you don't have to fear death anymore, 1 John 5, 11. And this is the testimony God has given us, eternal life, and that life is in his son. He's saying, hey, life is not about it having a pulse. Life is not about a heartbeat. Life is found not in cardiovascular signs and signals and symptoms. Life is found in Jesus, and that life never ends. He's saying it is life eternal. It is life forever. And then he says this, so there's freedom over sin, there's freedom over death, and then there's victory over the world. That's my favorite. Probably because I was kind of raised in kind of a church that it seemed to me, I don't know if they meant it this way, but it seemed to me the only way to win was die. Say this prayer, and when you die, you can go to heaven. Like, dude, what about today? (laughs) Got anything for today? I mean... You know, your recruitment strategy needs a little help. If the best you can promise someone is death, you're not passing out Kool-Aid, are you? You know what I mean? It's like, you kind of want to, like, whoa, bro, I don't know. I'm a little concerned here. <laughs> anything, you got a thick book, anything in there about today? <laughs> and John's like, oh, there's a lot about today. Because today it's freedom from sin. Today it's victory over death. But today is victory over the world. This is what John says in 1 John 5, 4. He says, everything born of God, that's a resurrected experience. Everything born of God overcomes the world. Here's what John's saying. Because of what happened in that tomb, no matter what your Friday looks like, there's a Sunday on the way. Because of what happened in that tomb, no matter how bad it looks today, it's not over. You may be living through a bad Friday, but there's still the power of the resurrection. Paul wrote it this way, if the same spirit, I love that word same, and I don't think we we even focus on it. Same. 
In other words, the same spirit, the same quantity, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The same spirit that went into that tomb and resurrected our Lord and Savior is the same spirit that comes to live inside of us when we go into that tomb. We say all the time that Jesus carried my cross. He did. He carried your cross. But here's another thing. He vacated your tomb. The tomb that you were supposed to be stuck in, that you were supposed to die in, the tomb you were supposed to spend eternity in. Now, the Bible says, according to Paul, this, this corruption will put on incorruption. Translation, he emptied your tomb and you're not going to stay in a tomb. You're not going to stay in a tomb. That's not the end for you. And there's freedom over sin and there's freedom over death. And there is victory over this world. And no matter what your Friday looks like and no matter what's going on, Paul, Paul is writing and he's telling us the same power, the same quantity, the same potency, the same power that resurrected Jesus is alive in us. And it brings life to our mortal. In other words, it brings life to whatever's dead, to your dream, to your hope, to your marriage, to your family, to your body. It brings life. That's the experience of the resurrection. He went to your cross. He vacated your tomb. (laughs) Easter changes everything. It's not a religious holiday. It's not a religious holiday. In fact, there's nothing religious about it. It's about resurrection. It's about the fact that you live and you win and you triumph and you overcome. It's not a holiday. It's an experience. And it's an experience that changes everything. Come on, give him one more praise. It's an experience that changes everything. (laughs) So good. Why don't you stand? It's a tomb with a view. I think John probably never forgot what it was like standing in the tomb and looking out of it. Standing in the tomb and looking out realizing Jesus has risen and this changes everything.